What is happening, guys? Welcome to the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, visit our website, www.themondaymorningblues.com. Nice and easy for you. Be sure to subscribe for our email updates. There you'll get updates on all things new uh, regarding the show. New guests, uh, new blogs that I put up, and new uh, information on our Blues Review page. It's my own music charting uh, thing that I do, where I put out music that I've been listening to lately, and I rank them based on uh, what I think. Um, so I'm having fun with that. Uh, if you find something new and interesting um, that I put up there, awesome. Tell me about it. I, I want to see how we're connecting uh, in the Blues world. So... Be sure to do that. Anyways, today's guest is Corey Dennison. Uh, he's a friend and brother in the blues community. And I talked to Corey for about eh, about an hour, uh, just about life in general. Uh, I felt this was the most human humanized uh, interview I've ever had in a while. Um, I found out more about Corey, and I found out less about Corey, the guitar player, and that was the goal. So, hope you enjoy. Here's my interview with Corey Dennison. Kind of active for you guys, huh? Once uh, they shut the door on uh, no shows, huh? Man, I've been on vacation for two weeks. It's been amazing. Yeah, where were you? Uh, where were you actually? Were you guys with, were you with the guys when uh, you know they put the the cahoot on uh, all this uh, live entertainment? Uh, we, or? we were actually we were supposed to. Um, we played Saturday night at Blues on Halstead. That was the last night we played. It was two weeks ago last Saturday. <laughs> And the next, and then the next day is when they shut down the Kingston Mines, and then and then from there we lost uh, the Kingston Mines, and then then Mom's Place, and then the House of Blues emailed me, and they 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 canceled everything, and then the uh, the Delbert McClinton show was canceled, and then um, a couple of other shows was canceled. And that's when I was just like, well, I guess I'll go on vacation until this blows over. <laughs> Yeah, talk about blows over, but I mean, for you guys specifically, I mean, you guys are pounding the pavement almost every night, it seems like. Monday, Wednesday, Kingston, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're no, always we, playing Saturdays at Mom's. I mean, this has got to be going, you got to be going stir crazy, right? Yeah, at first I was, but then, you know, my girlfriend Joanna was like, you know what, babe, you work hard, you need a vacation. And I there said, yeah, I'll take, I'll take it as a vacation because I could still go to the gym and stuff and I still, you know, I, I got my kids and stuff and I was playing with them and I could still go to the gym and stuff. And But then they shut the gyms down. So I started to get a little depressed. And so I started watching these new videos on YouTube about, you know, home workouts. And me and my uncle are building my, we're building, I turned, I transformed my mom's, my mom's garage into like a, a prison yard gym. I made myself, uh, I did. I made myself like a, a dip, a dip bar and out of pipe. Wow. And then I made myself a squat rack out of pipe. 
And um, so now we're just, now I'm just, I'm working out in the garage and practicing guitar and, and just, you know, hanging out with the kids. Yeah. Do what you can with the, with the time. Cause you don't get much time had, off anyway. So I wish I had an elliptical because, because my main <laughs> thing with the gym is because I like to run, you know? Yeah. And I can't run anymore outside because of my knees. Yeah. And it looks for make it a little easier. But you know what? I, I got these uh I do I'm up to about a thousand push ups a day. Holy cow. Yeah, I do a thousand? I, yeah, I do ten sets of a hundred. Holy cow, man. I can't even do 10. Jesus, Lord. I mean, I can, but it just, you know, I'm like, oh, because I don't work out. But that's that's my problem, I guess. Have you guys been working on, or not you guys, because y'all got to, you know, self-isolate. But have you guys been, uh, are you specifically working on any uh, new licks? Yeah, I'm working on, you know, I'm working on like new songs and stuff. I got a couple new grooves that I've been working on and writing some songs down here and there and, you know, just piecing stuff together and you know, I got my little studio upstairs at my mom's, so I just go in there and and uh, record a little bit, and then I'll just watch TV. I've just been mainly just been chilling, man, and yeah, just doing I you know doing it. my best to to stay focused and happy. And you know, I mean, it's 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 inevitable. You can't you can't change anything. You know, you right. just gotta let it blow over. That's right. Yep, yep, yep. But uh, no, I that's why I started. I do think that when it opens back up that that it's going to be crazy. I think the clubs are going to be packed like they were like they were 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, well, that's what we want to see, especially in, uh, you know, blues clubs, especially in all music venues. We, we want to see that all the time. But uh, it's sad that something like this, you know, it's going to be the reason it happens, unfortunately. Right. But uh, what are you going to do? Which is why I did the podcast, because I used to do this all the time. But now I have nothing to do. So um, you, so you, you were born and raised in Chattanooga, correct? Yes, sir. Now you're here uh, doing quite well. That's for sure. Um, for the blues specifically, my friend, how, how did you kind of really dive deep into that? Because I always have to ask really anybody, uh, especially people ask me because I'm young and I love the blues like it's no one's business. W- what was it about the blues that kind of, you know, caught your attention at such a young age? Um, I, I just I loved I loved the rawness and I loved the. My first, the first time I heard the blues was I was going through my uncle's record collection and I found this album that was, looked like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, what is this? You know? And, uh, I put it on and all of a sudden I heard this, this voice come across and this guitar come across and it was the album. I didn't know what it was at the time, but, um, it was Howlin' Wolf, the London sessions. If you look at that mm-hmm. record, it's got like a cartoon kind of album cover. And uh, my uncle's like, oh, yeah, that's Eric Clapton, bro. You love it. And I listened to it. I was like, I don't care about Eric Clapton. What's this? <laughs> you know, and, and, and all of a sudden I heard, you know, Wolf. And he's like, oh, oh, oh. You know, and he starts doing all the howling and stuff. And I'm like, I got to hear that. And then I heard that guitar come in. And I was like, whoa, I, I need to hear more of this. So that's when I started. From that record is where I just started diving into as much of it as possible. That's where I, after that I found you know, the BB King live at the Cook County jail, which I still have today, you know, on vinyl. I love it. That's my, one of my favorite BB King records. And then I, then I got, you know, like he had a uh, born under a bad sign record and um, you know, he had a couple other records and I just, I really just loved how real it was. And in honesty, and in honesty, it just kind of chose me. 
you know, it just kind of, uh, I just kind of just fell in love. I love music, all kinds of music, you know, like I listen to everything and anything, you know, like when I'm in the gym working out, it's nothing but Slayer and Lamb of God <laughs> and Megadeth. And, you know, you know, when I'm doing cardio, if I'm running or if I'm running around the block or something, I just put on, you know, like my Bobby Bland compilation. But when I get in the gym and I start lifting weights, it's, I put on like, you know, some heavier stuff and, and uh, just go from there. But, you know, it just kind of chose me. The blues did. The music in general is just, it's just, I just, I guess it's just, uh, um, you know, real, real life experiences. And I just relate to them really well. I got you on that. So would you say that the uh, the London sessions was, you know, kind of the pinnacle or like the defining moment that really brought you in? Oh, yeah, it was that and the movie Crossroads. Oh, OK, there you go. You know, the movie Crossroads. I mean, there was a lot of things. My uncle played guitar and my uncle was a huge Eric Clapton fan. And, you know, and then he, he you know, I mean, everybody and there's just so many influences. They go from they go from, you know, Albert King to to Kerry King. <laughs> Albert Collins, Junior Wells, all those guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. And actually from what I from what I understand, um, I'll I'll get to it in a bit, but you it was your uncle. He was actually uh quite a guy. He was the one who kind of brought you around to all those places to see Albert King, yes. Collins and yeah, Junior Wells really and things like that. Yeah, hold on one second, Christian. Yeah, let me awesome. have a large sweet tea half cup, please. Extra ice. Hey, no ma'am. Yeah, my uncle Joey D used to take me to this club over here in Indiana called Bugsy's, and that's where I first seen Albert King. And um, you know, he was also friends with Big Daddy Kinsey and Junior Wells, and um, so he was. You know, I was always around blues musicians. Sorry, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so we just it was. Uh, I, I was a very I had a very blessed uh, childhood, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and. And like I, I, I sat at the breakfast table with Albert King. I sat at the wow. breakfast table with Junior Wells. I didn't know who these people were, right, at the time because you know, I mean, I really didn't know. But come to find out, I'm sitting at the table of greatness. <laughs> oh my lord, that's insane, man! So now, when it when it came to that stuff, yeah, obviously we we figured out blues is blues is where it started. But when when did you get that first guitar? Was it, it was around six years old, I believe, from yeah, from where I. Got, I got, I got I got my first guitar when I was around six years old and sexy. Thank you. I really I really didn't start taking it seriously until probably you know when I got a little older, like twelve, thirteen. When I got mm-hmm. into middle school. Oh my god, that's the best sweet tea I've ever had in my life. That's the first <laughs> sweet tea I've had in a long time. It's so good. Some good stuff, man. Oh, it's so good. But uh, no, I got my first guitar when I was around six and I can say around like 12 or 13, you know, middle school trying to press the chicks, you know, and then I started getting into like, you know, the other guitar players and stuff and, and taking it seriously. And, you know, if you could ask my uncle any questions, he'd be like, man, he used to sleep. I would sleep with it. You know, I would oh, sleep wow. with the guitar in the bed with me. I would sit in the, he had a really, uh, he had a really long stairway going up, up his, to his apartment. So I would sit in there. I didn't have an amplifier. Um, all I had was this guitar and I had no amplifier and I would put the headstock of the guitar on the wall and it would, and it would amplify itself. And that's how I would practice. Wow. And I would it's almost there. like, wow. Yeah. Like if you, if you, if you got a guitar and you stick it against your, you stick the headstock against the wall, 
Mm-hmm. And then like if you if you hit this if you if you just grab the guitar and hit it, you know, it's it's not amplified. But then if you put the headstock against the wall and hit the string, it kind of amplifies it a little bit. So that's what I would do. Interesting. I, I, I would, buddy, buddy guy said a story about uh, he, he kind of did something similar um, when he was younger. He would take the the uh, what you would call it the screen the the, the little uh, things off the screen for the screen doors to help keep the mosquitoes out. He would strip strip apart the screen on the screen yeah. door, and then he would use that, and that's he would pluck that, and that's he, he that's how he you know, figured it out when he was younger, which is wild, but yeah, I never knew that. Yeah. It's like against the wall. Mm-hmm. It gives us some kind of, amp- it does something. It's, it's, it's a physics thing. I guess it's, it, it works. It doesn't yeah. get super loud, but it's loud enough to where you can hear <laughs> right. what you're doing. No, that's cool. So when you, obviously when you started playing live and everything like that, did you feel, because I know with me working at the Arcada, a lot of the artists come through, you have the opportunity to speak to, um, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, what he did when he started, when he first started playing the blues, he felt that maybe it was a lot easier going into a club at a young age playing the blues because the, the expectations for him, maybe, I don't know if it's for you as well. Did you feel where the expectations were a lot lower? Because what does this young kid coming into a club know about the blues and then to play it? Did you feel that for you being the same, the expectation low? Um. No, I felt my expectations were really high because when I first started coming into the clubs, the first time I went into the blues clubs was to see Carl Weathersby. So, like, that's when I really, I mean, I would go in as a kid with my uncle, but I wasn't playing. So the first time I started playing the clubs was with Carl Weathersby. And, you know, I was, you know, he's even to this day, I mean, he's he's my old man, you know what I mean? So when I first, yeah, he's my pop. So when I first met him and first seen him play live, you know, I was so starstruck because he, he was a Titan. He still is a Titan in my book. And he, um, when he called me and when I asked him, when he asked me to play, you know, I, I just, I had just known I had so many friends be like, Hey man, you ain't got, you don't got to prove nothing. You know, you just go in there and just play, you know, just don't worry about it. And of course, you know, every young guitar player is, every young guitar player is going to go in and, you know, just go, you know, go all out. You know what I mean? When they don't know no better. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it took, it took, a it took a while, but once I realized that, you know, you take your time and, and you don't have to rush and you don't have to prove nothing to no one, you know, then, then it starts making sense. And mm-hmm. when you take a, you play a couple of notes and take a breath, it has more effect and has more power than if you played, you know, uh, a whole symphony classic guitar piece by yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, That's one correct. note, I mean, everybody knows BB King can hit one note and it will, it has more power than Ingve Malmsteen's uh, <laughs> opus. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's a great, and that's a great piece of music, but I would mm-hmm. rather hear I much. I mean, I can listen to it, but I would much rather hear BB King shake that one note. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. right there with you. 
But uh, no, you know, it was actually kind of funny now that you mentioned Kyle. That's where I was going to next to talk about you and him. But I still remember actually the first time I, I ran into you and the guys. Um, it was it was Friday. I remember the days specifically. It was Friday. It was August 24, 2018 at the house pub. I literally just got off work and I was I never been in the house pub my entire life prior to this. And I was walking out of there out of work and you you hit one note. I don't, and I was like, mm, I like that. So I went in there and ever since then, you guys got me hooked. And that was actually a special night because Carl uh, was playing there. He came in on his doing from what I remember. Um, and, you know, Carl was there and you guys were playing. So it was like to have that moment, which was, uh, it was pretty special. But uh, now you and uh, Carl, you, you started out playing with him and then you ended up going and doing your own band how long did you actually end up playing with carl what was that experience like oh uh, i played with carl i want to say uh i'm gonna say an easy i mean me and him i would say 15 years 10 15 years wow my lord and you know we went all over the world you know a couple of times and we went as far as mm. africa played for the wow. the the president of togo and, you know, even to this day, you know, me and him, I talk every day with him. He calls and checks on Carlton because my son's name, I named my son after him, you know, so he calls and <laughs> checks on his grandkids. He t- calls and checks on the kids all the time. And, you know, it's, it's, um, me and him, our relationship is, is stronger than ever. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he believes in me 100%, you know, and I still believe in him 100%, you know, like we, uh, we just uh, finished up working on uh, before all this uh, Corona stuff kicked off. We just, you know, got got the word that me and him, uh, he was going to be on Blues Fest and he had asked for my band to back him up. On Blues awesome. Fest. So as far as I know, the Blues Festival is still going to happen and mm-hmm. we are still going to do that. So um, that's the only thing that's keeping, you know, me and the guys hopeful. We get to, you know, come June, we get to just you know basically burn burn chicago down basically <laughs> for the second time the second chicago for the, for, the, for the second time there you go but uh that that's incredible yeah he's uh he's uh, i remember you you talking about that before he he is your pops i still remember you would live stream sometimes at uh, the house pub with him you you'd, oh, you'd yeah. skype him or whatever or video call him but uh Getting back on track with the whole music thing now, when you when you kind of I, don't, I wouldn't want to say depart because you never really departed his band. You always were with oh, no, him regardless. Me. Oh no, he fired me. He fired me. He straight up fired me. Yeah, when you guys when you started to form the uh, the Corey Dennison band, how did those all, all the pieces uh, you know in the band come to be? You know, from Jerry uh, okay. to Aaron, Nick, how'd that all come to fruition? All right. Well, see, um, so I was playing with Carl and then one night he called me and we, we went and I went to pick up my amplifier and he seen me at the mines and we were talking and he's like, look, man, it's time for you to go. You know, I, I can't teach you anything else anymore. And he knew that it was time for me to go to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey man, no matter what, you know, I love you and I will always be there. All you have to do is call me. And he said, I know. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had met Jerry previously uh, a few years before that me and him, were on the road. I was with Carl and he was with Nick Moss and we met each other in London, Ontario. And a couple of weeks after that, he came into a jam session that I was doing over here in Indiana at Leroy's hot stuff in Porter. And I seen him play. And I said, man, if you ever need anybody to play rhythm, man, here's my car. Give me a call. 
And then a couple of weeks later, I got the telephone call and they asked me to open for Buddy in January. And uh, I called Jerry and Jerry was like, let's do it. So there was Jerry. And now Joel came into play. Um, I had, there were two guys that used to come see me all the time. There was Joel because he always played across the street at Blues on Halstead on Monday or Wednesdays. Um, and then Rob Pasinko. And Rob Pasinko was the original drummer in the Corey Dennison band. And uh, he, when we were playing, um, Eddie Shaw needed the drummer. And Eddie called me and asked me if he could steal my drummer. And I said, Uncle Wolf, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I said, you, I said, man, you got, you got seniority. And I said, man, just teach him. And he said, thank you. And so I told, I told Rob, I said, man, you go on the road with Eddie Shaw. You can always come back here. This is more experience. And, you know, Eddie needs somebody that's going to drive him hard. And I know you'll do a great job. So mm-hmm. Rob went with Eddie Shaw and Joel was playing with Pistol Pete at the time. And I gave Joel, I, I hired Joel for a gig because uh, Rob was out of town and Joel went and played with me at Buddy Guys. And I said, Hey, you know what? You, Rob's playing with Eddie Shaw. Would you like to play drums with, with us? And he mm-hmm. said he would love to. Now, Nick Skilnick, I've known Nick Skilnick since he started working at Legends and he's always been a Carl Weathersby fan. He was always a real big Corey Dennison fan. And I just was like, you know what? I can't, I can't, he's a great bass player. He really is a great bass player. He's a great bass player, a great guy. He's phenomenal. You know, he's funny on the road. You know, he's got a great sense of humor. So it was me, Joel, or it was me, Rob, Nick, and Jerry did the first tour. And we went to Ohio. We did six gigs in, in uh, three days. Four days. I'm sorry. Six gigs in four days. Yikes. And then, um, after that, you know, we, we put out the rep, you know, we, we toured and stuff. We put out the live record and then we got signed to Delmark and then we put out the, the, the two Corey Dennison band records. And then Nick wanted to focus on his career as a concierge and, uh, in hospitality. And mm. so he left the band and it was, it was really ironic because I had just watched Metallica's, uh, some kind of monster documentary. <laughs> And I was like, man, I'm doing the same thing that these guys are doing. Hold on. This is messed up. So uh, Joel had a friend in Boston, which was Aaron. And we started talking with Aaron and we sent Aaron some tapes. And Aaron um, met us in Detroit and we took yeah. Aaron on the road with us. We took him to Detroit, Ohio, and back here in Chicago. And uh, after that little four-day run... I said, man, I would love, I love the way you play. It feels really good. Um, and I said, man, that first note you hit in Detroit at that breakdown, I was like, this is it. You know, Jerry was like, yeah. So we asked him to, to join the band and he literally, we asked Aaron to join the band on a Monday, on a Wednesday. He went back to Boston, got a, got a rental truck that week. And that weekend, he packed up his wife, or then he went to Turkey and got married to his wife, Dee, <laughs> who was an amazing woman. And then he came home, packed up the truck, and we met him uh, in Detroit again for the, for another show. And we played, and then he drove to Chicago after that show and got an apartment. And he literally uprooted his life. He was in a, he was working at a hotel in a guitar center. And he just hated his, he hated his job. You know, he was, he was like, I'm, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And so when we gave him the opportunity, he just jumped on it. And 
you know, we just didn't look back. And Aaron is an amazing bass player. And um, he's a hell of a musician. And I mean, he's amazing. Mm. Yeah, no, he is. I mean, I, from what I've, I've spoken to him a few times, but I mean, Berkeley grad. Um, and the funny thing is the story that you mentioned about him, you know, working at a guitar center, not knowing what he wants to do with his life. There was a guy that I, that I uh, came across when I was in college who um, came in and spoke in class. He went to Berkeley. He was going to be a jazz musician. He was in that same position. He didn't know what he wanted to do. But, uh, you know, the, the movie industry came at him and said, hey, do you want to write a soundtrack, uh, a baseline or do the soundtrack for this movie? He says, sure. Well, the soundtrack turned out to be Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. He nice. he did the entire soundtrack for that. Now he works in the movies, does nothing with music. So, um, you know, when that opportunity calls, you take it and you run, I guess. But uh, that's awesome. Wow. And then you guys, obviously, you you said you put out those two records, you you basically played everywhere in the world my lord literally everywhere um well then, but then, well, then actually well, well then after after we got aaron um joel wanted to leave the band mm. uh to to uh do his big band thing you know and right and, and and i'm all for i am all for guys bettering themselves and you know furthering their career and I didn't want him to, you know, half step our show and I didn't want him to half step the big band show. So I just mm. was like, Hey man, you got my full support and uh, I want you to go out there and fucking kill it. Sorry if I'm not allowed to cuss. It didn't mean no, you're good. Don't worry about it. Um, I said, man, I, I want you to go out there and kill it, man. I, I, I know that this is what you went to school for and this is where your passion is. Right. So please, by all means, don't let, don't let this stop you. Go do the big band thing. St you know, still, you know, Go out there, hit him hard and heavy with all, with all that stuff. And so we found Rick King. Now, me and Rick King, um, you know, me and Rick had known each other through, you know, from the Chicago music scene. And, you know, we got good friends that are, you know, we, we all have mutual friends. And, you know, we've played together here and there. And, you know, Rick is actually uh, now the seniority in the band. Aaron is the Aaron actually is the greenest one of them all because. You know, I played with Carl for that many years and also mm -hmm. Jimmy Johnson and, you know, um, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Magic Slim and, you know, so many others because I got wow. to play with Carl. And but Rick, you know, is actually second in line because he played with Junior Wells and Magic Slim and, and like Otis Rush and. You know, when Rick's actually the oldest one in the band now and Rick and I mean, at Joel's age, Rick King was actually playing with uh, Otis Rush. And so and then, you know, Jerry was was with Nick Moss for that those years. And he also played with, you know, playing with Nick Moss. He also got to play with like, you know, um, piano, uh, piano Willie and, you know, and um, Chuck and uh Larry Bell and Willie Big Eye Smith and like all these. So now the the the, the experience in the band with is just it surpasses you know anything that is is that comes that it comes across unless it's you know one of the elder statesmen. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's like it's like we we take all these experiences that we have had and went through with with our former bosses and our friends and stuff and now we just now we all relate very well to each other and we're like oh man let's do it like slim did man or i can say hey man let's do it like we you know like when we're doing like a tyrone davis song i say i can tell the guys hey let's do it like like we used to do it with tyrone you know and 
and we can flip the groove because we've, we've all played with so many people and we all love these people and we all want to keep their memory alive. So we just, you know, do it like it's, it's supposed to be done. And then we put our little twist of flair on there. You know what I mean? Mm, no, that's incredible. And actually, was it magic? Was it was it slim that I think was he the one? Um, I believe it was him that inspired the the way buddy guy where he goes out in the crowd or when he does his thing at residency while we'll playing on the sidewalk His buddy. I think it was him. Buddy has a story where his, he went up to New Orleans when he was younger to go see a show and he heard this guitar oh. ripping. He didn't know where the hell he was, but he came in then with this right through the front door with a guitar hanging around and I don't think that was Magic Slim. I think that was Guitar Slim. Guitar Slim. There you go. That's I knew it was a Slim yeah. something, but uh, Magic Slim. Magic Slim is the king of the lump. Yeah, Magic Slim was the king of the lump. There ain't nobody in this world that lump <laughs> harder than Magic Slim and the teardrops, man. I don't care what they, I will. I will put that. I will put that against anybody. There, there is nobody go. in you the world it. that lumps that lumps harder than Magic Slim and the teardrops. On a Friday night at the Kingston Mines, about twenty years ago, when Magic Slim and the teardrops when they're playing. And, and 200 people in the club, everybody is jumped up and dancing because and man, all they're doing is lumping dun, 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 all night long, man. If you can go to YouTube and look up magic slim and the teardrops and look at an older, an older slim video from like the nineties, mm-hmm. there's nobody in the world. I don't care who it, I will. I will anybody want to challenge that go right ahead. There you go. You heard it. Um, you could follow him on social media. You could challenge him right now. But uh, so then you did that. And then back in October, actually, I think it was October of last. Yeah, last October, I believe you guys. Uh, I think it was October. I believe Billy Gibbons, House of Blues. How did that come to fruition? Yeah. You get the call to open for Billy Gibbons at the House of Blues. Um, They called me, man. And they, they were like, hey, we need a we need an opening act. And that was actually a it was a. It was like night. a day before. Yeah, it was like a weeknight because it was like the day before. But like we played Monday. And they, called us. they called me Tuesday morning. We're like, hey, we're in a bind. Can you help me out? And mm. I was like, yeah, what's up? They're like, man, we need an opening act for Billy Gibbons. And I was like, okay, we'll be there. And <laughs> and so, you know, because, we, you know, the guys live about 10 minutes from the House of Blues. I live in Indiana, but I just say, I called the guys. I said, hey, we're going to open for Billy Gibbons. Is that cool? And they're like, hell yeah, let's do it, boss. I said, all right. Awesome. So we went and did that. Now that was a great experience. Prior to that, um, about a, about a month prior to that, we opened for Chris Isaac. <laughs> no kidding. Which was which was just as which was just as cool, if not cooler, because I got to really talk to those guys and mm. um, and like I didn't realize that the same guys that played that Chris Isaac song, um, what is the Wicked Game? Oh, okay, that's his. I don't want to fall in love. You know, that one that was real popular in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Those are the same guys that have been touring with him for 30 years. He's had the same people in his band for 30 plus years. You don't see that often at all anymore. That's you, don't see that, you don't see that often at all unless it's like, a, and, my, and, my, and from what I know, it's like, you know, um, you know, Slayer has had the same mm-hmm. guys in their band. I mean, the one drummer and the one guitar player passed away and the one drummer quit but but even those guys but like cats like you know elton john is the only one i can think of that's had the same guys in his band that long mm-hmm. uh, and zz top they've been, they've been the same. I, was, I was going ZZ right top, there yep. and, and that's 50 years buddy 
Yeah, it's incredible. You don't see it's, that. It's at all. You don't see that at all anymore. People are changing bands all the time, and and it's like, it's like wow. When you see that, and you, and you get to be around that history and that much, you know, there's there's something magical about it. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you're right there with it. But uh, yeah, so the yeah, House of Blues with uh, Billy Gibbons and stuff like that. And actually, that was funny because I had, I went to that show, but I got I got you were there. I was there, and I had a I got an email in the morning. What the heck is this? Got an email updates about the show. I go, oh man, are you kidding me? This show is going to be canceled. I was going, oh no, this can't be a cancellation. Funny thing is, is that show was actually supposed to be at the Arcada. But the thing is, there was a contract thing where Billy Gibbons House of Blues threw him some more money at the last second and the show at the Arcada which was supposed to be October 12th got moved in the House of Blues on October 17th because they threw in more money at the last second which stunk but I'm like oh I'll read the email I'm like what? Corey Dennison? This is going to be great so it was uh it was kind of funny because I was so mad that whole week I was calling everybody saying hey Billy Gibbons is post and that was and that was and that and that and that was really special for me too because that was pre that was before I started working. That was like right around when I started working out again, or it was, it was like, no, I wasn't working out. I was still very overweight by the, that during that, during that show. Mm-hmm. So like, that was like right around when I, that was right around when I finally was like, look, I got to make some changes in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And actually the more I think about it, Corey, I think it was, I'm trying to put it together. It was actually October, 2018. That's exactly when it was. I correct myself. I just brought it all because when you you mentioned you know changing life or getting better and getting healthier, that brought me back to January of 2019. Um, and I'm not gonna touch over it a lot, but um, it was a special month. You played at Legends, you opened for Buddy, but that was also um, good friend Mike Ledbetter ended up passing away. Yeah. Um, for you guys, for the blues community, obviously it's very it's very close. It's more of like a family. One person gets sick. One, everybody knows. You know, it's like a small town. It gets around. Right. Impact. I think you guys are playing um, at Kingston Mines the night you guys found yeah, out. The, the Is that correct? Night, it was the night he passed away. Yeah, we were playing right. at the at the Kingston Mines, and we had just got off the stage. And I'll never forget it. I was standing outside. And I was smoking a cigarette, and mm-hmm. I was kind of pissed off at the world at the time. And um, of course, I was going. I was going through a real bad breakup, and you know, my life was a wreck. And uh, Jerry, Jerry came outside and he was like, Mike Ledbetter just passed away. And I said, what? Mm. And he said, Mike Ledbetter just passed away. And he was, his eyes were welding up and, and I just walked up to him and I just gave him a hug, you know, and I just told him, he goes, man, I fucking love you. Do you know that? I love you. And I was like, I know, man. And, uh, it was really hard for us because we had just seen him the night before. Mm. And, uh, we had seen him Saturday. He had come and seen us and, played with us and he'd, we'd seen him that Saturday. And then, uh, I told, you know, me and him always talked a, a lot, you know, late at night because I'm a night owl mm-hmm. and he's a, he was a night owl and me and him would always talk online and we would talk about our kids and, you know, his kids and my kids are the same age. And, you know, we, we, we really didn't talk about music stuff. Me and Michael, we talked more about kids and just tech jokes with each other. and. And mm-hmm. stuff like that. Jerry, Jerry and Nick Moss and, and the other guys were more uh, connected to him uh, through music. And, uh, you know, we were we were all a family, but we all had we all have our special memories of Michael. And and, and you know, mine are more um, 
my my memories are more about talking about kids and being a dad and right. and what it's like to be on the road and missing the kids and how the kids are growing every day and you know it was just really hard and it hit me so hard that I just dove in I, I quit practicing music and I started practicing on health and I started working out seven days a week running nine miles a day changing my mm-hmm. eating habits I quit drinking. The only thing I can't quit is smoking. It's so hard, <laughs> you know, but, you know, people ask me all the time. They're like, cool, you can make all these changes in your life, you know, whether it be smoking cigarettes or, or whether it be, you know, um, uh, uh, smoking cigarettes or, or not smoking cigarettes. They're making all these changes, whether it be working out, uh, diet and all this other stuff. How come you can't quit smoking? And I just, I just, I just say, Hey, you know what? I love to smoke. I know it's a bad thing and I know it's terrible and I know it kills so many people, but you know, it's the one thing in life that I just can't get rid of because it like, it just kind of helps me relax. You know what I mean? And, and I, and I just can't find something to take that, to take that edge off. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't drink anymore. I, um, I, I don't eat fast food anymore. I don't, you know, I really, I watch what I eat. I pre, I, I had no, I moved back to my mo- my mother's house uh, in February because the apartment complex that I was living at after my after my uh, separation from my girlfriend uh, caught on fire. So mm. they wanted to raise the rent to like cover the repairs. And mm. I just told my mom, I said, mom, I can't afford it. She's like, come home. You know, you, you and your girlfriend can move here. I don't want to. My mom's a foster mom and she didn't mm. want to take on any more kids. And I said, okay. And so, um, you know, I mean, I, I pre-cook everything, even though I'm at my mom's and I, uh, my mom's, no, nope, let's be real. Everybody loves mom's cooking. doesn't matter. There who you go. Is. Yeah. Are you kidding? You know what I mean? But I, I have to look at it and, and she looks at me and she, she, my mom's a spaz. She's like, why are you making 10 pounds of chicken breasts when I just made blah, blah, blah. I said, well, mom, I have to pre-cook for the, for the week or two weeks <laughs> because the shit you make is so good. I can't stop eating it. <laughs> So, you know, it, it's really hard, you know, to, to, to do, do the things you really love <laughs> and do them with, without excess. So if I, if I keep the smoking, I, I just, I just keep on smoking and that'll be the only bad thing that I do. That's that, and I'll be okay with that. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, y'all, everyone has their one thing, but, uh, we all have vices, Christian. We all have vices. Yeah, I'll do it. And it's okay. You need those. I mean, you're not, I, I wouldn't, I don't think there's a normal in life at all, but if there was a normal, that's, that's the normal thing. Y'all have that one thing that you just can't break or that relaxes you. For me, that's listening to the blues or just kind of isolating and picking up the guitar and, you know, 90% of the time I pick it up. I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but then you figure it out. I just, you know, you, you get better at it, but, uh, now I didn't mean to kind of veer right into the whole thing with Mike. I was just trying to piece everything together, but, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving me a little bit of oh, no. that story. I thought that was awesome. I, I, you know, that, no, I, I, Hey man, that's not a problem. I mean, I think, I think we lost, uh, I lost an amazing, we, I lost an amazing friend and, uh, and, a, and, a, and we all lost a, 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 a friend, but I lost a very special friend and the, the, the music industry in general lost somebody that could have mm-hmm. took it to the next level. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he his was reach. taking it to the next level. He was taking his it to the next level. Incredible. Yeah. 
I was. I mean, just to see, like, when uh, I'm not going to go on, but I just, one little thing, the sidebar is, I mean, there were some people that I followed that I've been trying to talk to, like Toby Lee, for instance, a uh, young kid from the UK. Um, you know, I, I would watch his, his covers. He played blues guitar, a little kid on, on YouTube. I mean, his reach touched everybody. This, this kid talked about how he was honored and, you know, he was privileged enough to play with Mike over at the UK at this guitar fest. And I mean, yeah. all the people that he came across, all the, all the people, young, old, it's just, I think it just spoke to, to who he was as a person. And I think that just speaks to the blues community in general. I mean, it's one big Man. family. And funny, Mike, funny, Michael, had better story. I was talking to Nick Moss and I, I you know, after, after it all happened, we all became closer actually. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I called Nick Moss to, to see how he was doing, check on him and the kids and everything. And we were talking and he was telling me a story about Mike Ledbetter. They were, they were out somewhere and it's somewhere where like Mike had only been one time. Okay. And with Nick, it was only one time. And when they got there, they went back to this place to play and Nick's, Nick's looking around, they get there and they do everything and they get there and Nick's looking around for Mike or whatever. And Mike's over there high-fiving and, and talking <laughs> to these people and, and all this other stuff. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm just saying hi to these people, blah, 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 blah. Because, and like, he was amazed at, at how all these people knew who Michael was because Michael would stay up. You know, like I said, he was a night owl and mm-hmm. he would stay up and he would talk to everyone. Like he would be on Facebook messenger, just, talking to people from all over the world. So when Michael <laughs> w- went to this place with Nick, Nick was like so amazed at how many people knew who he was, like just high-fiving and hugging and all this other stuff. If you ever get a chance to, to interview Nick Moss, you have to ask him about just, you know, tell him that you know, Corey t- told you that, you know, this, this funny story about how he was kind of, he was kind of awestruck about how, how he's like, how do you know these people, Mike? And Mike's like, I talk to him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, what do you mean? He goes, dude, I'm a, he's like four o'clock in the morning. Michael Ledbetter's online talking to, you know, God knows who, <laughs> you know, and, and, and what, what part of the country? No one knows, but you know, everywhere we go, we hear his name and everywhere we go, I still see his face. So, you know, and, and I still hear him saying, there's some nights when I'm on stage and, and I, and you know, like I'll do when I'm feeling it, you know, I'll do, I'll pay my little tribute to him, you know, and, and do a, a song or something. And I'll, and I'll try to do something that, you know, what would Mike Ledbetter do in a situation? Like, how would he sing this phrase? And, mm-hmm. you know, I try to, and when somebody asked her like, my God, that was amazing. I said, well, you can thank Mike Ledbetter for that. Cause he's the one that taught me how to do it. There you go. Uh, and the crazy thing is, I think was the, the age. I mean, I could get off and talk about him all the time, but um, I'm, I'm trying to talk about you and stuff. But the thing is, this him, the last thing would be, um, from what I think Kate said, she told me at Legends that in 2019, I ran into her there. He picked up a guitar really late in life too. Like, yeah, he did. 20s. And I yeah. mean, it's just, he just blew up. It's just, it, it was really incredible. But, uh, you know, he was special for sure. That, uh, wow. Then yeah, January, no, and he got to play with Buddy right after that. So, I mean, that was, uh, that was one hell of a month for sure for everybody, for you guys. Oh, yeah. But that buddy show, let me tell you, man, probably one of the best shows I've ever seen in my entire life. I think it's just the energy, the whole vibe in there. It's just it, the whole buildup. I, I actually took off the whole day of work. So I got off, 
you know, I told my boss, I'm taking the whole day off work. They're like, why? I said, I got something going on. Like, oh, whatever. So I got down to Legends at, I was a little late too, but I got there at 10 in the morning and I was already mm-hmm. too late. Being too late, meaning as far as the line goes, I'm like, oh man, I thought I was getting here early. There was a long line. I got in there and I sat at the table and I had just enough money. I have a saving it. I go, oh, I got to save this. I get dinner. Didn't have enough for lunch and dinner. So I'm like, I gotta. So I just sat there all day waiting, waiting, waiting to get that close seat. But uh, nine o'clock rolls around and finally the show starts. But I wouldn't change one thing. That was uh that was a hell of a show and um, I, I can't wait to see you guys back there again. And I really just can't wait to see you, you guys again in general on once all this stuff blows over. But uh, man, I, I really appreciate everything you do. I appreciate your friendship for sure. Um, you guys have really treated me well, whether it be, you know, going to a show, just always talking to me, running into you guys down at mom's place in the city back in the summer, uh, eating with you guys. Um, you know, you guys, yeah, man. You're special, and I appreciate you very you're much. You're part of the family, bro. You're part of the family, man. It's, it's. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I've, I've been thinking since all this Corona stuff. You know, like I've, I've just, I've just been thinking about it. You know, and I just been calling cats that I hadn't seen in a while, and and mm-hmm. being like, look, man, we need to just, we just need to let this blow over, and you know, um, you know, when it, when it, when everything pops back off, you know, we just need to just become like this massive cartel. And just nothing, nothing is going to stand in our way. I mean, this isn't going to stand. I mean, just because the clubs are shut down and the festivals are shut down doesn't mean I'm going to stop playing music. I'm still going to do a live, you know, I'm, I'm in the process now of playing, you know, I cleaned up my mom's garage and I got it set up to where I I got like this, I got like a prison yard gym, like I said, (laughs) you know, with, with, I got, I got a parking block that I do pushups on and I got this, Mm -hmm. this makeshift uh, homemade squat rack and, but, you know, I also got a little section in the garage that I dedicated that I hung up a little, I hung up this purple sheet and I got some lights and I'm going to start, you know, and when it warms up a little bit more, I'll come out here in the garage and I'll start doing some live broadcasts. And, you know, I, do I think it's going to clean back up? Do I think it's going to open back up? Yes. Do I think it's going to open back up next month? No. You know, I mean, I mean, there's, there's nobody knows when exactly, but, you know, we just can't give up hope. And, mm. You know, we just got to just just have that mentality that, you know, nothing is going to stop you. Nothing should stop you from from doing what you love to do. I don't care if it's, you know, making paper mache Spider-Man dolls or, you know, (laughs) playing music or, you know, doing whatever. You know, I mean, I I got um, I got all these kids here. You know, my mom's got five kids, foster kids, and I play guitar for them every day. Mm. And and you know and like I you know I play you know I open the garage door and if I'm playing you know people will stop and be like hey what's going on blah 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 you know I mean it's it's just you just gotta find things to keep your your mind uh, moving you know and 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 keep your body act active you know I mean this order of stay is kind of a pain in the butt because it's got everybody freaking out but mm. it has to be done. You know, I mean, I went to the, I went to the store yesterday and I was so amazed at, at how little there are in the stores and, and the prices of everything. Like I'm more amazed at the price gouging, like a case of Coca-Cola is going for $9.99. A case of Coca-Cola is $9.99 and and a, a single four package of toilet paper is, 
is up to like six bucks. And I'm like, are you serious? But there's That's a 70 not. inch TV. There's a 70 inch TV on the other side of the store for two ninety nine. You know what I mean? Nobody's buying, yeah, nobody's buying electronics. So the prices are coming down and it's like, oh my God, yeah, you know, ridiculous. you know, get what you need, go home and stay there. Right. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. check on your friends with the, with a, a video call or something. Don't, don't like, don't endanger anyone. Don't endanger yourself and, and anyone else. Mm-hmm. I hate mm-hmm. staying home. I'll be the first person to tell you I hate mm-hmm. staying home. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it too. But usually, my only time out is when I gotta go to work, and by work right. is I go to the arcada and I I'll do my thing, and that's my that's my little thing, and I I go crazy for it. But now that they shut that down, I I got nothing to do. So I play guitar right. and I'm trying to do this stuff again because uh, this right. is what I want. I love doing. So I'm trying to get back into things that I never, I couldn't find the time for anymore. So, hey, but I appreciate you very much, Corey. Uh, guys, you've been listening to Corey Dennison. Uh, hey. He has two albums out with his band, Corey Dennison Band. The first one is a self-titled and then he has Night After Night um, from Best Emerging well, Artists. Delmark Records. Yep, Delmark Records. All the way from Best Emerging Artist, Best Contemporary Blues Album, from the Blues Music Awards, and a, uh, a pair from the Blues Blast Magazine, and even Grammy balloting. Um, that's and also uh, 2017's uh, Pre, Le Prix des Blues Awards from Paris, France, from the Jazz Academy. There you go. You heard it from Corey. Uh, guys, this has been Corey Dennison on the uh, Monday Morning Blues with Christian Hansen. Corey, I appreciate you very much, my friend. I love you, brother. You take care of yourself, man. We'll see each other soon. Sounds good. Like I said at the top of the show on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. You can listen to mine. You can also check out our website, www.themondaymorningblues.com. There you'll find all updates regarding future shows, information on all of our guests, both past and future, as well as information on the new page, The Blues Review. There you'll find new music that I've been listening to that I think you may be interested in. Be sure to check out those artists and let me know what you think. If you like them, great. If not, that's fine too. Have a good one. We'll see you next week.